right. Hey, good morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Landon Dermott, and I work full-time uh, for a ministry called Young Life. Some of you may have heard of it before, and uh, I go here to Church of the Holy Spirit, and uh, I get to teach occasionally from time to time, and I'm excited uh, for what we're going to dig into this morning. Um, but I've been gone a lot of this summer. A part of my job with Young Life is I spend a lot of time in the summers away at Young Life Camp. And during the month of June, I was doing what we call a program assignment. I was part of the assignment team. And I worked with a group of Young Life staff from kind of all over Virginia and, and around Virginia. And we were up in New York at a camp called Lake Champion in Glen Spain, New York. I'm just curious, who's been to Lake Champion before that's here Okay, I see a few hands. Okay, it's an amazing place. And so I was there for a month, and we were a part of four summer camp weeks that came through uh, with people from all over the United States. We even had a group that came from Puerto Rico, which was really fun. And uh, we put on an incredible week of Young Life Camp, uh, which many people leave and will say is the best week of their life. And so uh, we were there, and we saw about 2,000 students come through in groups of about 520 over the course of those four weeks um, and it was a blast to get to watch them experience the incredible facilities that we have at Young Life Camp, um, exciting adventure, genuine and authentic friendship, uh, and then also to get to process the gospel for some for the first time. And over the course of those four weeks where we saw 2,000 students come through Young Life Camp um, at Lake Champion in June, we saw close to 450 students decide to start a relationship with Jesus for the first time in that month. It was incredible. Yeah, you can give a round of applause for that. It was amazing um, to watch what the Lord was doing and to think about the ripple effects that are happening now as those people have gone home um, to, to begin to walk in that new life um, at, at their hometown. Uh, but last week, I just got back from Lake Champion again, only this time I went with a group of our staff and leaders from here in Roanoke, a lot of whom are here this morning that are members of Church of the Holy Spirit. And we went up with a group of 90 people from here in Roanoke. And we went to Lake Champion again, and we experienced Young Life Camp, and we uh, were, were experiencing those same incredible facilities, those same um, incredible adventures, experiencing authentic and genuine friendship, and again, processing the gospel with those high school students from here in Roanoke, Virginia. And over the course of that week that we just experienced, we watched 19 students from here in Roanoke, Virginia, uh, for the first time, start a relationship with Jesus and are coming back home to walk in that. That uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that there, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we're walking through what that looks like to be a new creation here at home. And some of them are even here this morning at Church of the Holy Spirit, which is really fun um, and so exciting to walk through what that looks like with them. And I say that only to say thank you. Church of the Holy Spirit has been a faithful supporter of the mission of Young Life for so long. And on behalf of me, my staff, my leaders, what we get to do is such a gift. So thank you for allowing us to do what we get to do. It's a, it's a gift and an honor. This morning, we're going to look at a passage in scripture that I would contend is one of the most famous passages in all of scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As you heard it on the screen, it probably took you back to a wedding ceremony, um, you know, maybe something you've seen framed in your grandma's house before. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a very famous passage of scripture. And if you've been to Church of the Holy Spirit, you know uh, in the last little bit, we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians for somewhere between... I don't know, eight or nine years, it feels like. It's been a long time that we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're close to the end. We're in chapter 13 this morning. If you want to go ahead and flip there, and I'm really excited about what we're going to look at. 
like I said, this is a famous passage of scripture. And as you read it, you probably would think that this is some sort of poetic, romantic writing about love as Paul writes what he says here in verses 4 through 7 of chapter 13, that love is patient, that love is kind. But as you know from our studying here at Church of the Holy Spirit of 1 Corinthians, the book is full of a lot of um, rebukes, of a lot of harsh teachings. And it seems like Paul uh, is really getting after something in the church in Corinth here. And I think the reason that it looks like that is because Paul loves the Corinthians so much. And they were new in their faith. It was a new church that had just started and they were figuring it out. And they had come to faith in Jesus. They had become new creations. And then after a little bit, they had kind of gotten off the rails. And Paul is writing to correct them a little bit and give them a harsh truth. Because sometimes we need a harsh truth. But as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, if we just looked at it in a vacuum, you might think, oh, this is kind of a breath of fresh air. This is going to be a nice one. But I would venture to say that Paul is being just as intense in what he's saying to the Corinthians. And perhaps what God might be saying to me and to you this morning in the book of 1 Corinthians. You see, I think in chapter 13, what Paul is looking to do is answer the question that every single person in the world wants to know the answer to. Paul wants to answer the question that every single movie seems to pose. Paul wants to answer the question that every single piece of literature seems to hinge upon. Paul wants to answer the question that me and you wake up every day and seem to be asking. You see, this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I think Paul wants to answer the question, what is love? And so as we look at that passage, what we're going to do is we're going to split it right down the middle. Because in verses 1 through 3, what Paul says is this is what love is not. And then in verses 4 through 7, we'll close there and he'll say this is what love actually is. And I'm really excited as we dig in to see what the Lord might be saying to me and to you this morning. So if you want to look, we'll start in verse 1. And we see in chapter 13 that Paul gives sort of a laundry list, so to speak. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains. And Paul begins to list off these, these sorts of gifts and talents. And, and what Paul is saying, if you were here last week, Quig talked about spiritual gifts in an awesome way last week. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to flip a page forward and look at that. And he's saying what he's saying here in context of what he just wrote in chapter 12. And what Paul is saying, and if you hear nothing else this morning, know this. You were created by God and you were created for God. And when he created you, he crafted you with your own set of unique gifts and talents. And it is your duty and your honor to get to serve him with those gifts and talents. And Paul is talking about these gifts, but what he's saying here is he's saying those gifts and talents in and of themselves are not love. The gifts and talents that we have, whether it's speaking in tongues or teaching or understanding scripture or caring for people, whatever gifts and talents you have been given, those in and of themselves are not love. In fact, Paul even says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I know that Eric doesn't use the gong and the cymbals much in morning worship here at Church of the Holy Spirit, but I thought it was weird when I first read this that Paul was throwing shade at the gong and the cymbal. They seem like fine instruments to me. It seems pretty negative the way he talks about them. But when you look at this, what most commentators would say is when Paul is talking about the gong and the cymbal, he's actually referencing 
pagan worship that would have taken place in this time in the place of, of Corinth. And so when he says, I'm nothing but a resounding gong or clanging cymbal, he's talking about pagan worship ceremonies where people would, would go and they would worship for hours on end and they'd ring gongs and they'd clang cymbals. And I think that Paul draws reference to the gong and the cymbal to this pagan worship for two reasons. The first is this church in Corinth, like I mentioned, was a new church. They had really just started in their faith and probably just a few years prior, they had taken part in that worship, the same worship that the unbelievers were taking part in. And I think the first thing Paul is saying is when you use your gifts and talents that the Lord has given you and you don't have love, it's no different than what the unbelievers do. It's no different than the worship of the world, the worship of pagan gods. And he's saying without love, it's no different. And we as believers want to be different. And I think the second thing that he says is those worship ceremonies that went on for hours as they would ring those gongs and clang those cymbals were really all about drawing attention to themselves. And what Paul is saying is when we use our gifts and our talents without love, it's really about us. It's really about us saying, look at me, look what I have done, look what I can do. He's saying that in and of itself is not love. And so the first thing that Paul says is that our gifts and our talents in and of themselves are not love. So that's the first thing. But then in verse three, he tells us a second thing. And he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And what Paul is saying here is not just your gifts and talents, but also if you work really hard, if you give everything you have away, if you sacrifice your whole life for Jesus, but you don't have love, you gain nothing. I think it's interesting that he uses the word gain here because I think he's drawing reference to the same thing he was talking about in the gong and the symbol. When we serve, when we give things away, when we sacrifice without love, it's really about what we can get in return. That we do things in hopes that people will see us and think that we're great servants or hard workers or, or you know, that we deserve some sort of recognition. It becomes about us. But Paul says, your gifts and your talents, your service and your sacrifice are not in and of themselves love. And without love, they're nothing. And I think that this is a really challenging thing that Paul tells us and that we need to hear this morning because what he's saying is that you can serve Jesus without Jesus. That you can work for God without knowing him. And I think that we know this to be true, that there's no better place to hide from Jesus himself than in service to him. And Paul is challenging us. And he's saying, do you know him? Do you have love you see, I think what happens, I think the reason that we can get this mixed up so often is in our world, every relational function is that you do and therefore you're loved. And we can throw that first slide up on the screen. You think about it in, in terms of your relationship that you have maybe with your coworkers. If you do your job, if you get done what you need to get done, then your coworkers will love you. You think about it in terms of your family. If you take care of your family in the way that they need to get taken care of, then they will love you. You think about kids, you think about with your parents, if you do what they say to do, then it feels like they might love you, right? This is the way we think and see every relational paradigm in the world. I do, 
Therefore, I'm loved. And that's how we see our gifts and our talents and our service and our sacrifice. And we try to force that thought process into the gospel. That if we do, if we use our gifts, talents, service, and sacrifice, then we'll be loved by God. And every other religion in the world says that. But the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel is radically different. The gospel flips that on its head. And we can go to that next slide. The gospel says, you are loved, therefore you do. And love comes first, and then we do. And then the things that we do, our gifts, our talents, our service, and our sacrifice aren't out of what we can get in return. It's about what we already have. That we're filled up with love, and now we can go and do in freedom. Makes me think about this glove. I used this in the first service and someone told me uh, that, you know, they said, you young life people must love gloves. I didn't know that Sloop used a glove a couple weeks ago, but we're gonna use a glove again. I apologize. We do love gloves in young life, but I think it's a lot like this glove. If I take this glove and I reach it out to shake your hand without my hand in it, it's gonna feel empty. It's gonna feel weak. If I take this glove outside and I go to a mulch bed and I begin to pick up weeds and try to use it like this and, and you know, garden and, and use it to pick up weeds, I'm not going to make much of a difference. It's not going to be very transformational. But if I take my hand and I put it into this glove and I reach out and I shake your hand, it's going to feel powerful. It's going to feel strong. And if I go to that same mulch bed and I begin to pick up weeds, I'm going to start to make a difference. And I think... That's a lot like our gifts and our talents, our service and our sacrifice. In and of themselves, they're really just like this glove. It's not very powerful. It's not very purposeful. It's not very transformational. But when love, the hand, embodies the glove, then it takes on new life. And so you'd say, Landon, you've told me that we need to get love first on the timeline. You've told me that we need love to be the hand in the glove, to embody our gifts and talents and service and sacrifice. But we still haven't answered the million-dollar question. What is love? What actually is it? We know what it isn't. We know that we need it. But what is it? Well, let's turn to verses 4 through 7 and see what Paul has to say. In this beautiful passage. But I think what happens so often is we misread this passage. And we look at it and we say, okay, so we need love. What it, love is patient. Okay, I'm going to be more patient. Love is kind. I'm going to be a nicer person to people starting tomorrow because today I might be a little bit short with people. Okay, I'm, I'm, love does not envy. I'm going to be less jealous. Okay, and we think of this in terms of a behavior modification program. And we say, I'm going to work really hard to make myself more like this thing that Paul is talking about, this list of adjectives that is love. And for me, what that looks like a lot of times is taking a beach ball and forcing it underneath the surface of the water at a pool. And it's exhausting and I try as hard as I can for as long as I can, but then what inevitably happens is my hand slips or I get distracted or I forget about it or I get tired and that beach ball bursts through the surface and makes a big splash. And I'm reminded almost every single day of my life that I can't be that list and I fall short. No matter how hard I try, no matter how much I work at it, I seem to fall short of that list. And I think we read this passage wrong. And as we, as we translate this from the Greek to the English, what we miss is we see this as a list of adjectives. But most commentators would say, as you look and translate this, what Paul's actually writing is a list of verbs. And we can see that Paul is talking about what love does. 
We can throw that slide up. And uh, a commentator has made uh, sort of a translation to try to make it more accurate to the verbs that Paul would have originally written to the church in Corinth. And it reads like this. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not keep a record of wrongs. Does not rejoice in iniquity. Rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, and endures all things. And I think what Paul is trying to teach us in verses 4 through 7 is two things. And the first is a hard truth. And that hard truth is that me and you are not love. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much we work at it, no matter how much we try to work into this behavior modification program, we are not love. And I think the reality is we know this to be true. We feel it because as we try, we know that we're broken people and we fall short of this verb list that is love. You see, I think the reason we know Paul is saying this is because when you look at the verbs he uses in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 7, all of those verbs have been used before in the book of 1 Corinthians, except for they're used in a positive light here and they were used in a negative light in the rest of the book. You see, Paul is saying that love does not envy, but you envy. Love is not puffed up, but you were puffed up. Love does not seek its own, but you seek your own. And it seems like bad news as Paul tells us what we already know to be true, which is that me and you, the church in Corinth, no matter how hard we try, we can't measure up that we are not love, that we're broken and we're flawed. And it seems like terrible news, but it's not. Because love does exist. You see, Paul's not just writing a list of adjectives. He's not even just writing a list of verbs. What commentators would say is Paul is actually personifying love. He's saying love isn't a thing. Love isn't a feeling. Love is a person. And it's not me and it's not you. But that person does exist. But who is he? Who is love? How can we put love first on the timeline if we don't know who he is? How can we put love as the hand in our glove if we don't know who he is? You see, love left heaven and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserved to die. And he took our place. Don't you see? It's Jesus of Nazareth. You see, Jesus suffered long and was kind on the cross. With nails in his hands put there by the people that he created, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Jesus did not envy, but being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And Jesus did not parade himself and was not puffed up, but rather he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And Jesus did not behave rudely, but instead he who knew no sin entered into the world as a human being, born a baby in a manger, meek and gentle. And Jesus did not seek his own, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Jesus was not provoked. Instead, he was silent before his accusers. Jesus kept no record of wrongs, but rather he died to erase it. 
Jesus did not rejoice in iniquity, but instead he laid on himself the iniquities of us all. And Jesus rejoices in truth. In fact, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus bore all things, believed all things, hoped all things, and endured all things on a criminal's cross that day on Calvary. Why? For me and for you. To live the life we should have lived, to die the death that we deserve to die. Because you and I are not love, but love left heaven for me and for you. You see, Jesus has to come first on the timeline. Jesus has to be the hand in our glove. When we have Jesus love himself, then it transforms everything we do. Our gifts, our talents, our service, and our sacrifice are no longer about what we can get from other people or striving to earn God's love because we have it right here, right now, in love itself who left heaven for you. And he changes everything. And he did it while we were still sinners, like it says in Romans 5.8. When Jesus' love comes first, everything changes. It's not about what we have to do to earn his love. It's about what's already been done for us. See, I think a lot of times we look at church, we look at Christianity, we look at the Bible and we say, that's a whole lot of stuff about what we need to do for God. But get this, the gospel's way more about what God has already done for you than what you need to do for God. Because Jesus cares way more about what he's doing in your life than he's gonna do through it. And our gifts and our talents and our service and our sacrifice take on new life. And now we don't have to work really hard to be love. Love is in us and love flows out of us. And it's not our love that we have to muster up, but it's Jesus's love in us that we're passing on to the world as we go. I wonder if somewhere along the way, you reversed the timeline. If we're trying to force the paradigm of I do, and therefore I'm loved into the gospel. I wonder if somewhere along the way you took the hand out of the glove. I wonder if you've been hiding in service and sacrifice to Jesus. I'm gonna pray in just a moment and these curved rails will be open for you to come and pray by yourself and these straight rails will be available for you to come and pray with someone. What I encourage you to reflect on this morning is that love itself left heaven for me and for you and it's standing right here, right now with open arms saying, I have kept no record of wrongs. Would you receive his love this morning? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you left heaven for us, that you love us so much that you came and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserved to die. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.